Welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today, we are talking about Romy and Michelle's high school reunion, a classic. We're talking about it with our great friend, J.V. Hampton Van Zandt, one of our favorite people, a repeat You Are Good guest. I am one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I'll soon be joined by my wonderful co-host, Sarah Marshall. Uh, First, I just want to let you know a couple of things. You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies, is made possible with your support. Thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon and Apple Plus podcast subscriptions. This is how we pay the vast, vast majority of our bills uh, by way of your support. You get bonus episodes as a result. We just had a wonderful conversation for an upcoming bonus about which uh, fictional characters uh, resonate with us most. Uh, We talked about six different ones. This was a topic request by Gabriella. And I'm looking forward to share that with you very soon. So thank you. Uh, We're just art freaks and writers and uh, artists (laughs) and musicians. Like we can't make it out in the world any other way. So thank you for helping support us and uh, making this a job. We really, really appreciate it. You Are Good is also made possible with support from Knack Factory, K-N-A-C-K Factory, a commercial and creative video content production company with offices in Portland, Maine, though they do work throughout these here United States. If you need that sort of work done, get in touch with the fine folks at Knack Factory. We have a great new supporting sponsor of the show. I'm so excited True, like truly excited. This is a great business. Origami Customs is a customized and handmade line of swimwear, lingerie, and more for folks of all bodies and genders. It's all handmade in Montreal by a small team of queer and trans people. Origami Customs' goal is to construct clothing that makes it easier for people to be out in the world. They actively produce fashion technology that supports our transgender and queer community and anyone else who wants to feel good in their body. Each item is individually patterned for a perfect fit or they'll alter it for free. Custom sizing is always included in your order and there's never any size cap or fat tax. They are the only gender affirming company to do this. Although the line is for all bodies, they specialize in making gender-affirming products, including binders, gaffs, and packing harnesses, as well as swimwear that incorporates these technologies. Origami Customs' mission is to strive to offer people of any size, shape, age, ability, and gender expression a safe way to have customized clothing items that meet their needs. They're also committed to using their platform to advance social activism and support queer and trans people who face access barriers, which is why they started their community program to get their products to people who can't afford them for free. Through this program, they've partnered with many community organizations around the globe to get these necessary affirming products to people with limited access. They currently send out 300 affirming products per month at no cost to recipients. This is awesome. I'm so happy to have Origami Customs on board. Origami Customs has a unique discount code for You Are Good listeners. That discount code is YOUARGOOD, Y-O-U-A-R-E-G-O-O-D, all one word. You get 15% off by using the code you are good. Welcome aboard Origami Customs. We appreciate your support of the show. Thanks for doing what you're doing. It's great. And finally, we release playlists that accompany each of our episodes. The playlists are inspired by the conversations about the movie. They're inspired by the movie. Um, This one will be fun. You should check it out. It'll be linked in the show notes. Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion is a 1997 uh, comedy classic. It stars Mira Sorvino. Lisa Kudrow, of course, Alan Cumming, Janine Garofalo. It's great. We love this movie. Again, we talk about it with our great friend, J.V. Hampton Van Zandt. Uh, It's about some friends who have decided to go to their high school reunion, and they're going to show everybody, but then they realize we haven't done a whole lot. (laughs) So they make up a story uh, about an invented success, and we see what happens. It's just the best. I love this movie a whole lot. We just got back from the Yurongabout tour, and there aren't enough words about wonder in the English language to tell you how great it was. Uh, Carolyn played a bunch of songs. We were accompanied by Chelsea Weber-Smith of American Hysteria and uh, Miranda Zickler, who edits our shows, uh, and we just had grand and great fun with them. We were accompanied by 
Jamie Loftus of all things Jamie Loftus. And we had so much fun with Jamie. It was just a blast. It was incredible to meet so many of you. I know we're going to do more dates in the United States, and I think we're going to do other dates uh, elsewhere. I was just like a stage manager and tour manager, and I did a couple introductory things on stage, but I, I felt the love out there and I... I had a great time. I wonder if we'll do something related to You Are Good at some point. I think that that could be a lot of fun. I think that that could lend itself to a good deal of fun. We actually talked about some ideas around that. So if that's something that you think would be interesting for you, let us know. Find us on social media. Find us on Instagram and on Twitter at You Are Good Pod. Say hello. Um, and yeah, how's your life out there? Carolyn and I just moved to California. We're settling in. That's that's what we're up to. Uh, she's playing some shows in Boston. You should. Uh, she's got some new music on the way. You should keep an ear and an eye out for that. All right, that's enough banter from me. You, my friends, are good. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you. We appreciate the opportunity to do this. And we can only do it because you listen. So thanks. All right, let's do it. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. Sarah, I'm going to kick it off with a question. You ready for it? Yeah. Let's just say, for the sake of saying, that you are about to go back in time and you are going to go to your 10-year high school reunion, but you feel like you haven't accomplished everything you you want to have accomplished in order to be an impressive human being to all the people you wanted to best in high school, what would you make up for your profession to tell these people to convince them that you've made it? Hmm. First of all, you're asking me to go back in time to the summer of 2016, which is a very bittersweet <laughs> concept. Yeah, when you get back there, do some warnings, warn yeah. some people. No one will listen. Yeah, in case that doesn't work, just enjoy the summer of 2016. There being fewer fires, yeah, yeah. and literally and figuratively. Um <laughs> I feel like when I was in high school and I was a very snobby person, I was whimsical, but I was also snobby. It was a war inside <laughs> me. I mean, I like the lies that I would have to tell would be like immediately obviously false because I would be like, yeah, I just won an Oscar for best adapted screenplay from my own book. And it was presented to me by my husband, Lee Pace, who I don't know is gay yet. <laughs> <laughs> and then they would be like, no, you didn't. <laughs> uh, J.B. Hamden Van Zandt. Welcome back. Oh, yes. Hi. Hello. I am back. I like how you said, like, oh, yes, like you you forgot that you yourself were here. You were like, oh, yeah. Yeah, oh. is here. It's, it's oh, me. This whole thing. Me is here. I have, like, oh, I've suddenly been summoned here. I am here in this weird box. I wasn't here five minutes ago. Ah. <laughs> You're like, I was looking at a pear in the supermarket, and now I'm in this Skype call. JV, what would your lie be? So my lie would be, this would be, for me, the 10-year reunion would have been 2018, which mm. at that point, I had just retired from being a professional mermaid. So yeah. I guess my response to them, if I was going to lie to them, I would say, oh, I've retired and I don't work anymore, actually, because I've already made my first million. <laughs> so why continue? I'm good. I'll just why keep continue? doing philanthropic work. Well, you invested <laughs> in that mermaid startup. so Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Alex, what would you do? What would I say? That my, What would my lie be? That's a fantastic question. I'd be so vague about it. <laughs> I'd be like, there is an, I'd put on an air of importance, but would be so shady about it just kind of to fuck with people a little bit in the, in the meantime. And I'd be like, I'm so humbled to have done as well as I have. I can't quite get into it, but I'm a fortunate person and I just, I'm trying to stay humble. So you're taking the gross point blank approach. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> I just had a good answer, Ooh. which is 
legally speaking, I actually cannot mm. tell you because I would, in fact, yes. have to kill you because I work for the government. That's it. <laughs> these are the free tips that our <laughs> listeners who haven't quite reached their 10 year reunion. This is what they come for is they know that this is what they can say. You know what I would say? I would say that I this morning I found the iced coffee I lost yesterday oh, and it was news. in my bathroom. And that's what I call winning. Sarah, my God, when you said that you lost your iced coffee, I was going to say it was in your bathroom. I wish you'd I done was that. Going, oh, my God. But you know I was what? Like, it's still a good temperature. <laughs> I'm listen, I'm not going to turn my nose up at food that's been in my bathroom. My, you know, ancestors used to dig for potatoes with their bare hands. Yeah. I mean, it's like that. (laughs) Like, what's the worst that could have happened to it? It like wasn't in the toilet. Anyway, we're talking about Romy and Michelle's high school. Let's not go into it. Anyway, (laughs) Excuse me. I cut my foot before and my shoe is filling up with blood. That's the best line. (laughs) ever that's like i would think that i was going in and saying something suave and i would say something like that so so we're talking about romeo and high schools romeo and michelle's high school reunion sarah before we dive in yes can you be our tour guide and walk us through what the movie is and what happens inside of it i would love nothing more it feels like I've seen it 90 times. Like, I feel like it's just I've either watched it or it's been sort of ambiently like on in my life consistently for 20 years. It's nostalgic. It made me happy when I was 13. It makes me happy now. I always well up during both time after time dance sequences. So Remy and Michelle's high school reunion is about two best friends and gal pals who sleep in two beds in their one bedroom apartment, just like Laverne and Shirley. Mm. And they are Romy, played by the irreplaceable Mira Sorvino, whose career was torpedoed by Harvey Weinstein, and by the Fanny Bryce of the 90s, Lisa Kudrow. <laughs> Ooh, what a title. Oh, my God. Whose career was destroyed by aging naturally. <laughs> God That's, damn. <laughs> That's an all-timer Sarah Marshall, is if I've ever heard it. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, it just hurts how true that is. I felt that in my spirit. She still does great stuff. Like, she's a voice... In our culture, like there, I feel like it's not like Lisa Kudrow like isn't around, but like, could there be more of her? Could she be getting more and better work? Yes. I love Lisa Kudrow's very small part in Booksmart. She's in Booksmart. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This movie is substantially in Booksmart's DNA or this oh, yeah. sort of like an DNA, DNA. And I love that there was an honoring of Lisa Kudrow in that movie. Yes, there was. She's wonderful. And as IMDb pointed out in one of its rare moments of helpfulness (laughs) (laughs) on the trivia page, which is just often a list of things fans noticed. And you're like, yeah, that's that's true. Everyone knows that. A lot of people who've guest starred on Friends are in this movie. Oh. Uh, and also, Jennifer Aniston famously would eventually, after being sad in tabloids for hundreds of years about Brad Pitt, would marry Justin Theroux, the cowboy. Oh, shit. Score. Is she? Are they still married? God, I hope for her sake. Yeah, t- mm. yeah seriously. <laughs> Justin Theroux is like... Because if not, I might be soon. Uh, fucking <laughs> the best. Wild. <laughs> Okay, so Romy and Michelle's high school reunion, I'm going to try and do a lightning round of this, are about two best friends, Romy and Michelle. They live in Venice Beach, and they realize when Romy runs into their former classmate, Heather Mooney, Janine Garofalo, our favorite person, Mm -hmm. that their 10-year high school reunion is just around the corner. And then Romy decides that their lives don't look impressive because they don't have boyfriends or husbands or impressive jobs, and they're just like cool gal pals who live in Venice Beach and go clubbing every weekend and make all their own awesome clothes and watch pretty women together and have fun all the time. But their lives suck because they don't have big jobs and men. (laughs) Um, A theme Mm -hmm. emerges. And so first they try to acquire the things that Romy thinks will make them impressive. And then they decide to just lie about it and show up as businesswomen which is an interesting lie to choose and say that they invented post-its, 
which is like kind of a good lie, but also bad for a few obvious reasons. And one of them is like, okay, Romy, but like, what is your day to day like now after inventing (laughs) (laughs) post-its? And so they turn up at the high school reunion. We have like a 15 minute long dream sequence about how things could pan out because on the way to the reunion, Romy and Michelle had a big falling out over post-its when Romy said that people wouldn't believe that Michelle had also been part of inventing them, but maybe it could have been her idea to make them yellow. And they reveal that Romy doesn't think Michelle is as smart as her, and Michelle doesn't think Romy is as cute as her. And they have a giant falling out, and they go their separate ways. And so we see a dream sequence where they both have this great sort of fantasy outcome at the at the reunion where Romy gets together with Billy Christensen, who she had a crush on in high school and who she has massive baggage about, which is really mostly about his girlfriend at the time, who was like mm-hmm. a giant horrible bitch to her. Just an incomparable level of bitchiness. <laughs> like it's from really impressive. Such a small human being. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so we have this dream sequence that turns out to be Michelle's dream where Romy and Billy get together and Sandy Frank, a giant nerd played by Alan Cumming, who is as perfect as he always is and everything, is a big inventor and millionaire now. And actually, I feel like Michelle is like kind of a prophet because then she wakes up and it turns out that like... Billy is like a big, sad, lush who's been married to Christy, the scary queen bee for a decade. But Sandy Frank is a really successful inventor who didn't buy himself a new face, but looks great and maybe took some dance classes. (laughs) (laughs) Or attended the same obviously gay nightclub that they attended every single week. There it is. Just saying. (laughs) That bartender was wearing a lot of leather. And you know what? That speaks for itself. And also, just the song that's playing when they enter that club in the first place told me it was a gay nightclub. Yeah. That's it. Is the song they're playing when they enter like the one that's like, be my lover, wanna be my yep. lover? Is it that one? Yep. It was. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> All the music in this movie God. is on point, I would argue. The whole soundtrack is very good. There are several, um, well, I no longer use Spotify. I use Apple Music for some ungodly reason. Who can remember? Yeah. Right. Whoever might have caused you to make that change is so insignificant that, you know, history will just forget whoever they are very soon. Exactly. (laughs) But the one thing that, like, sort of bothers me about is that I don't have, like, the soundtrack for this movie. But several Mm. people have compiled it in playlists that are just readily available on Apple Music and then added a couple spicy features onto it, which I loved. Oh, that was great. It was really just a nice little time capsule of the 80s and 90s. It was very fun. JV, you are like very new to this movie, which I want to talk about in a second. But I was watching this and I wonder how this felt to you thinking about how like like this movie came out in 1997, which I feel like was like really the beginning of 80s nostalgia as a force in contemporary pop culture. And I feel like 80s nostalgia, it's kind of like what the show MASH was to the Korean War, where like MASH was on for three times longer that the Korean War was happening. And I guess you could argue that it's on a Breaking Bad kind of a timeline where everything's super compressed. Um, And like every season represents like two months of actual time for the characters. But like, We have been nostalgic about the 80s for 25 years, for like way longer than the (laughs) 80s were happening. And it's been such a consistent force. What's funny to me is that like the music choices that Romy and Michelle makes for like the 80s songs that it puts in its soundtrack and how it kind of uses them in the story. Like most of these songs are like horribly overused by this point. But I think that like in the 90s, putting those in a story as plot signifiers was like fun and funky and fresh and kind of like taking something out of a drawer for the first time in a while. And what's funny to me is how like this movie's soundtrack still works on me. Like even though the stuff that's in it has been largely overplayed since it came out, I still think that it works. But what do you think about that? I absolutely agree. I think one of the uh, 
Well, one of the songs that plays that I adore because I I don't think I've ever heard this song in its entirety um, is always something there to remind me. Yeah. I only knew that song up until like very recently from commercials. Yeah. But I don't remember what the commercials were. I just remember that line. I think there was at least one car commercial that was on for like yeah. years. It was like the Toyota Tacoma or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was also oh, it was also God. a McDonald's commercial around the time that this movie came out. Right. And you know what else is a bummer is how Down on the Corner or whatever it's called by CCR has been like the Walgreens theme song. It might not still be, but it was for like 10 years in those commercials with John Corbett. Oh, and now whenever was. I hear it, I think about Walgreens. It's such a bummer. Yeah. Capitalism strikes again. Hmm. Mm. But yeah, <laughs> that's the soundtrack. I think it's comprised largely of just things that were hits, like things mm-hmm. that have just a really substantial staying power that feels like a component of it. But it also just the songs are so some of them just very weird Songs that I've never known what the meanings of them were. Oh, like what? Like Karma Chameleon. <laughs> I don't know what that song's about. I don't know what it means. It's like, a great I, point. <laughs> I kind of just don't think there's any there's any real significance to the songs they're picking. I think that these are just songs that would yeah. have been popular when they were in high school. Oh, I disagree, Alex. I've been thinking about this, and I think they're actually doing a Scorsese-esque soundtrack where like, <laughs> most or all of at least the 80s songs are like commenting on what's going on between the characters. Like, For example, when mm. Michelle is apologizing to Romy and utters the iconic line, you're cuter than me, you are. And in some cultures, maybe even cuter. It's amazing. No one is to blame is playing. Mm. Huh? Oh. Okay. See, it would make sense a little bit for why they spent, what was it, $200,000 for licensing rights specifically to time after time. Yeah. Which, worth it. <laughs> that's a lot of money. But like that also, yeah, it was. It was. Well, it's like, it's a lot less money than paying for a CGI dinosaur it's true that's true because what this movie was missing but (laughs) which which by the way does anyone remember the animaniacs time after time nod in the song mime after mime because that is a big (laughs) that was a big favorite Oh, yeah, I'll send you. I'll send you this. Yeah. It was just. It was just. No, it was just like the refrain was mime after mime, and it was a music video. Was a mime doing stuff, smelling flowers, having a sad <laughs> Did time. Did it sound like time after yeah, time? Like, totally. Oh my. It was. Was it like parody. sad? Um, I don't know. <laughs> we'll have incredible. to revisit. We'll have to revisit. Let's wrap the description so we can dive into the movie. Yeah, that was the description. Oh, that and was then, it. Sorry. Yes, and then Sandy is like, Michelle, I have. A lot of cool, rich person stuff, but I don't have you. May I have this dance? And Michelle's like, only if Romy dances with us. (laughs) And they do this beautiful dance. And I would argue, here here are my two concluding points. (laughs) This movie is a sassy sister film to Thelma and Louise because it's also about Hmm. two best friends in a convertible and beautiful sort of vintagey looking outfits in Arizona yes. and also that it's like Thelma and Louise because it is about the war that is fought in the adult lives of women between straight time and queer time and they're both <laughs> movies about queer time winning and in one movie <laughs> queer time wins when uh, our heroines drive their convertible into the Grand Canyon. And in the other movie, Queer Time wins when you do a a little dance with Alan Cumming. (laughs) And they're both great flavors. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But this one is more relaxing. (laughs) This one is more relaxing. And then they leave in Sandy's helicopter, and he loans Romy and Michelle the money to start their own boutique atelier called Romy and Michelle, and I hope they're still in business today, and I would so buy something from there i absolutely would i would work for them absolutely oh Oh, they Uh, would be lucky to have you but i love that romy 
comes to the conclusion that like everyone was probably a little bit of an asshole to somebody else mm -hmm. in their time. Yes. Because like this movie has like a lot of like on the nose, correct indictments of particular dynamics in high school or at least in the high school experience I remember. But there's also the realization that it's like, oh, we were shitty to other people too. And there's reasons for that. It's like you're dealing with like being on the shitty end of a stick somewhere. Everyone is sort of passing it around somewhere. Mm -hmm. But I really love that there's that realization that that is the case. And Janine Garofalo's character is walking around thinking that she was the most put upon person in one way or another and then realizes that, no, she actually made someone else's life hell too. And I was so surprised when that actress, whose name I don't know, but she's in happiness. National treasure, Cameron Mannheim. Uh, I love her love so her. much. Yes. When she, oh, I cried. Again, this is another movie I cried in as a surprise. Like I cry when she is very upfront about being like, and don't tell me to fuck off. It really hurts my feelings. I know. Like, yeah. oh my Toby. God. <laughs> it's like, damn. I love it. <laughs> like, oh. I love it so much because it's like, because I think everyone thinks that like expressing a boundary has to be the most painful thing in the world. And she and, and I and I understand that sometimes just getting yourself to a point where you can say that could take 20 years of therapy. But it's a really interesting and very lovely, like not too over the top articulation of what it looks like to say you don't appreciate a particular kind of behavior. So please don't do it to me. Yeah. Also, Cameron Mannheim is the author of a memoir that I think came out in 1999 called Wake Up, I'm Fat. Oh, really? And I just think that's great. Yeah. Oh. I mean, JB, as we were talking about, you came pretty fresh to this. Like, what, what was that like? Yeah. Okay. So story time. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I was listening to, I forgot which episode of the show I was listening to exactly at that moment, but I was listening to an episode of this very show while I was browsing for fabric, which will come up again in a second. Mm. I was browsing for like old curtains to use as fabric for something in the Goodwill down the street from my house. Doing a Carol Burnett. Exactly. As one does. And I walked past the film section, like the DVD section, and I just I looked to the side and I saw Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. And I I immediately was like, if I don't pick this up, I feel like I will be disappointing my friends. Like I will specifically <laughs> be disappointing my friends if I do not pick this up because this DVD is like a dollar and I still at that point hadn't seen it. Oh, they're like paying you to watch it at that point. Yeah, exactly. Like I hadn't seen it. And also for years, literally years, people have told me I would love this movie, but they didn't tell me why. So I was sitting there like, I have this recommendation from a bunch of people, but I also don't have a reason why it's being recommended to me. And it is from the 90s, which occasionally does make me a little bit dubious as to whether or not I'm actually going to enjoy the thing. That's my favorite. You're going to love it. Someone says some real gnarly shit for 15 minutes that you have to ignore, but it doesn't affect me. So I haven't thought to tell you about it. Exactly. Like specifically <laughs> one of the things like from 90s films that can be the absolute like most jarring thing because you can't predict when this is going to happen it just suddenly appears is a random joke about a trans person just out yeah. of nowhere and it's always the shittiest thing and it's just you don't see it coming because there's no reason for it to be there especially if the thing is supposed to be a comedy oh oh so many of them. Mm -hmm. It's silly. It's bonkers when you watch that. When you watch these movies, and I would say that it really feels like a quarter to half of any comedy from the '90s has some trans joke in it. Oh yeah, '90s oh, yeah. and the 2000s. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. like a lot. Like I just, <laughs> I will occasionally touch on some movies from those time periods, but I like rarely at this point go back of my own accord to a thing that I have no context for, or I will check on, like, does the dog die, like, to see if there's anything, like, yeah, yeah, just yeah. beforehand. So I watched it once by myself during the day on, like, Wednesday of last week, and then I watched it again with a group of people on a Discord um, to just see what the response oh, was nice. from other people, some of them who had seen it and some of them who 
had seen it in the background of like their parents' house when they were like stopping by to visit them. Like that kind of a vibe. Mm. And I got mixed reviews from that group, but I adore this movie. This is great. Watching it Mm. twice in 24 hours is certainly a choice, but it is very good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Love it. And do you feel like it's it's not stepping in, you know, the sort of holes, the these little like divots of hate crime that so many other movies of its era get stuck in? And like, if so, how? Well, okay, Mm. so. On the one hand, mm-hmm. uh, there's one very noticeable problem mm-hmm. in this film, which is that the only person of color that is like noticeable and identifiable and has any lines whatsoever is a harmful stereotype about Latino people. Mm. So there's oh, that. yeah. There's also the random black woman who appears long enough at the reunion to say, I love those clothes and then disappears again forever. That is it. So that's a little problematic in terms of it's like just very noticeable diversity issue. Mm -hmm. However, what I also notice is there is a lot of inclusion of queerness in the casting of this. Mm -hmm. Granted, whether or not these people were out at the time is also just nah. But um, (laughs) well, they met Alan Cumming. You know what I mean? It's like they were in a room with him. (laughs) Like Alan Cumming was there. So there's that. But then like just on display. On display, that lovely gentleman. I oh, I love Alan Cumming. But anyway, yeah. that's... Um... Alan Cumming is a gift from someone who loves us. Exactly. So he was there, obviously. But then, I mean, we have Jeanine Garofalo, our resident <laughs> person who I assumed was a lesbian, only to realize identifies as asexual. So there is that, which is great. Very, yeah. It's like part of the flag that rarely gets engagement. Exactly. It is one of my flags, personally, so I don't... Every year around June, when that conversation of who can come up to this event, Hmm. for some reason that seems to keep coming up for some weird gatekeepy reason. So, like, cops can come, but asexual people can't? (laughs) Right? And, like, how does that make any sense at all? There's nothing I love more than people who are new to a discourse compensating for their lack of comfort Mm -hmm. in their own skin about what they are policing the shit out of what other people are allowed to do with regard to like inclusive spaces love it that's my fucking favorite Uh, i miss tumblr as well yes (laughs) absolutely i'm like like, long story short kink and asexual people are allowed at pride that's the end of the discussion discussion over like that's it like we're done nice that was efficient (laughs) yeah it's very straightforward no matter what you said on tiktok Junior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I remember, by the way, sorry, super, Supers, I don't mean to derail that, but it just rem- it reminds me of just like, you know, talking about this at some point and someone was like, so, and I said, I was like, yeah, I've had, a, I've, I've been with men. <laughs> and so I was like, how many? <laughs> I was like, that's the straightest question I could possibly imagine. <laughs> What's your body count, bitch? Are you one of those like, uh, low effort 21st century serial killers who kills three people and calls it a day and expects the media to care how many i was like what are you gonna do with that number (laughs) plug it into the algorithm yeah you gotta put it into the equation (laughs) fuck off put it in the slide rule like first of all it's at one of those points where if I tell somebody that I that I identify as like largely asexual, just I the largely there is important and I love the work that largely is doing. <laughs> right. It's like largely asexual in that like most of the time I do not experience sexual attraction to most people. Romantic and intellectual attraction to people often, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But then there's some moments where there's just like a person who is ungodly levels of attractive or they are doing something (laughs) that is like like i think earlier today for some reason i was on a youtube shorts and a video of this cheer squad like a college cheer squad specifically um, (laughs) and there's this man yeah like yeah um, and there's this man um who was just like throwing this girl like up in the air and i was like 
oh, um, <laughs> like just something about that just did it for me, out, I guess. You should watch some videos of Joey Chestnut eating hot dogs. Oh my God, that'll, do, that'll do something to you. And oh. whatever it does, you can assess where you're at. The thing that like, what I think is stupid, right? Is that like in order to be a vegetarian, you can't eat any meat. In the 80s, you could eat fish. It was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Well, the second you eat any meat, you're not a vegetarian, but that's that's stupid. That's a stupid thing. Like if you're a Christian, I'm a Christian and I do all sorts of things, but there's a little spell I do at night and then it makes me a Christian again. It's like if you're you can be a vegetarian and like once in a while, if the fucking steak looks good, eat it. You're doing way more work than mm-hmm. almost anyone ever is about their diet and how it relates to ethics. Absolutely. Well, we want to categorize ourselves and others, Alex. I feel like that's what so much of this is about. And yeah, yes, it's, it's, it I think about yeah. this fairly often, how like people often have this ex- intense sort of often somewhat religious experience of like converting to veganism yes, and then they yes. defect from veganism and they're like, it was killing my body. And it's like, yes. yeah, because you because you did it in this all or nothing way, which is like how a lot of the culture around diets are. And really, like, if you just eat largely plant-based but have, like, yogurt as a treat or something, (laughs) then, like, that would be amazing. But you would see yourself as, like, you know, it all gets very Catholic. (laughs) Yeah, it really does. I mean, that scares the shit out of me about the TikTok police kids is that it's, like, turning things into... You know, there's there's like there there are codes and there are litmus tests and like you have to be this percentage of this. And it's like, I don't know, like I wish it sounds pretty straight. Like this all sounds like straight stuff. Alex, go fuck a guy before 5 p.m. or I'm taking your license (laughs) away. I'm reporting you. Okay. And by that same token, I would have to go fuck a guy before 5 p.m. to keep my license as largely attracted to guys because my numbers are like dismal. Right. Somebody oh, make this movie in which this conversation <laughs> happened and now we're in a race to tr- go fuck a guy. <laughs> I'd watch that movie. The amazing race. Yeah. The way that that does tie into this movie is that like one of the big things that I take away from this movie is that comparison to others. Well, one, it's the impetus for like the thought of them going back to the reunion. The invitation, apparently, that happened to get lost in the mail, apparently. Mm. Yeah, what the fuck was that about? <laughs> right? Like, fucking wild. I I did a little bit wonder for, like, the <laughs> I a little bit wondered if the reunion for my class for the 10-year reunion didn't happen or it did happen, but they didn't tell me, which would have been the weirdest thing because I, at that point, was like working in education still so like <laughs> when you were a mermaid in the schools right well at that point i was doing um after school programs and like some in school related projects teaching kids about leadership and diversity and whatnot which was really fun i love doing that that's my day job by the way yay nice job. well that's i do awesome. that for everybody yay. not just children and now my subject matter largely focuses on unpacking queerness and also just conversation about gender across all age lines, which is quite fun. But because they meet up with our fabulous, uh, they meet up with that one very fabulous classmate who I feel like throughout most of this movie, I would have said was just generally speaking, lesbian coded overall. And do we mean Lisa Luter? With the Don Johnson suit on at the reunion. Oh. Or is it, oh no, or Heather. Is it she Heather? She is the other one who's lesbian coded. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. You what a are wealth. absolutely right. Oh, I love her. <laughs> she is in this movie my favorite because of that last, like, the shade. Yeah. The shade that is thrown. She's taken that bitchiness and is using it for good, I feel like. And also construction wise, it's such a great bookend because the, when we yeah. see her introduced, she's kind of shut down by the power structure of the group when she kind of speaks against their thing and then is like kind of put in her place. When there's a musical swell, like right. the only moment of this movie where there's a musical swell and everything <laughs> shuts down. Right, um, right. And she's like, oh, never mind. They're, they're, all, they're bad. she gets the opportunity to not only succeed but like use the the authority of her success and her discerning eye to counter them in a way where they they can't say shit back to her which is great and like in fashion and she's the businesswoman exactly so who was the who was the character you were talking about jv sorry i was talking about 
Oh, God, why am I spacing on her name? Heather Mooney? Yes, thank you. I, was, yeah. I couldn't remember her last name. I could remember Heather, but I couldn't remember like her last name. Yeah, she, to me, felt very lesbian coded in the way that, honestly, most goth teenagers yeah. from any time period realistically also to me feel vaguely lesbian coded i think she's smoking in a consistently lesbian way there we go that's it. we just had this conversation with our friend woody sticks on the harriet the spy episode about how oh. one of the things that you yeah. kind of learn and this is where you see this in the heather mooney character is like one of the things you learn is like a, a young queer person is often like for survival to just be like smart and bitchy, Mm -hmm. like in the smartest kind of bitchiest person. And like, that's how you possess authority. And then sometimes you never learn to have nuance about that after because it like was your survival skill. And like Heather holds onto that in the way that someone who never had to learn any nuance about that after high school does. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like, I, I've opted today, as an aside, to wear uh, the Heather Mooney wig. That's what this one is, or at I least it's the closest Ooh. that I had to. It's the closest I had in my wig stash to a Heather Mooney wig. It's a, it got a little bit too much body to it. I'll be honest. For, <laughs> for, that feels like, ooh, that feels like shade. Um, no offense, Janine, but <laughs> her hair is fabulous now, and it it was then too. Yeah. She predicted the Iraq war. She was like, we're when she was on, you know, whatever, you know, lib radio show in 2003 that everyone was like, eh, this lefty, she's not funny anymore. She was like Mark Twain at the time. She was like, we're going to have a giant war. It's going to go on forever and it's going to be very costly in every way. And it's going to be really bad, you guys. And nobody listened to her. She Mm. could have stopped everything. Oh, man. We we all should have listened. We all should have listened to Janine Garofalo. <laughs> I, just generally, we all should listen to Janine Garofalo all the time, yeah. mostly. Well, mostly, Let's I think. see what she's saying now, yeah. and let's listen to her about that. I think she had a weird defend Louis C.K. thing for a while, so yeah. we should we should take it with grains of salt sometimes. All right, yeah. I'm going to focus on yeah. what she says on geopolitical matters. <laughs> and if I recall correctly, she had, like, I remember reading a thing that she said about, like, how to handle like apologizing when oh, one is sure. learning publicly, which is, uh, I think, I the you. main thing that I got that's you. the main thing I want people to take away from her is when you're learning publicly and need to apologize, reflect on the very specific way that she's set out to mm. do that. And also acknowledge that just because somebody is like talking public doesn't mean that they're necessarily a genius at something. Yes, that's wise too. Yeah. yeah. Always be learning. If all of that said, like, just like, as a mascot for a particular kind of like biting disaffection and like per, like sometimes like prophetic disaffection like Janine Garofalo had in the public eye you know and this isn't even the expanse of her career but in the public eye a really dynamic and influential decade in the 90s yeah absolutely absolutely and i also realized how many voices she had done like of characters that i like didn't even I didn't clock that she had done um, until years later. And I just, I, she's, she's great. I love her. (laughs) But I also like, there was something really, really interesting about her character in this, in that, like, she looked at those girls and thought that those girls had it the best. Yeah. I don't think they ever, like, put her down in any way. But Sandy preferred Michelle to her, so that was how they made her life hell, right. I think. Yeah. Exactly. I th- I truly think that was the only way right. that there was like any type of controversy between them. Yeah. But like it seemed like the sort of aspect of bullying for her that occurred that I think would have been direct bullying in some way would have potentially been the cowboy that never said anything. Yeah. Who I just think was was adorable then and, and has remained adorable as a person, as an actual human person. But that little section of story of like, yeah, I just didn't know how to express myself like a regular person. And that's why um, <laughs> and that's why this happened. <laughs> and I, I like the way that this movie cuts back and forth between the between the 80s and the 90s and just the way that it does that visually. And I will say the first time we started going through that dream sequence 
I had no idea what was happening. Oh, wow. It starts off very subtle, I think. Totally. Yeah, it like it it skillfully yeah. unfolds. Like it skillfully reveals what it is. Yeah. And like in a really masterful way by way of sort of direction for like what seems like a goofy comedy. Absolutely. I like when I was watching it in the Discord, shout out to the Discord for the weird, which is where Hell I was yeah. watching it. Like, yeah, oh my god. I I love them over there. They're wonderful. I just perfect. Um now when I was watching it with them. I didn't tell them at the moment where it started. The moment where they began to pick it up was the bit with the glue. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When she knows the formula for glue. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, uh, <laughs> but I also, because of the type of, like, work that she had been doing in terms of design and, like, actually making clothing and things. Right. The amount of shit that I just know for no goddamn reason about crafting. Right. Rather more accurately, because of crafting. Like, for example, the listeners can't see this. Y'all can see this. These lovely pads that are all around this room right here. Mm -hmm. My aunts run this company online where they like put together needle felting things. In order to do needle felting for the first time uh, the other day, I was making a raven. I have not finished. Here Ooh, it is. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, I took one of these things off the wall and it's like the little like needle felting pad there. I realized, oh, yeah, it's foam. That's foam insulation right there. And foam insulation is the thing that you need for the foam pad to like do this thing. It's a type of thing that happens in the brain that you can't necessarily explain to another person, but like. If you understand the basic science of like one thing, you might be able to just pull an answer like that out of nowhere, which is why I didn't notice it at that moment that it was hmm. a dream sequence the first time. I was like, right. yeah, no, honestly. It does seem like the kind of thing Michelle could pull out yeah, somehow. Definitely. Yeah. And it just like functions like the way that the, the layers of present yeah like they're surreal but they're like kind of true to life about how anticipation works so like yeah. i'm going to go to an event that's going to celebrate 10 years ago okay well like now i'm going to remember 10 years ago a whole lot right and then i'm going mm -hmm. to anticipate what the event is going to be like and i might like have some fantasies about like what that'll be like and so you're synthesizing the then with the imagined and then finally you actually have to like go to the event and match that against mm -hmm. the fantasy and against like how things used to be and so it's again it's like it's for a comedy where Mia Servino has a funny voice and that could be how you reduce the whole thing it's pretty brilliant it's brilliant I think this movie is brilliant this movie is genuinely brilliant I think that any movie where where Mira Sorvino is doing a funny voice, like probably is going to be brilliant. Mira Sorvino, thank you. What did you call her? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I called her Mia Sorvino. Mia Sorvino. Yes. At least yes, you didn't yes, call yes. her Mila Sorvino. Shocking that I did not. Sarah, you brought this up the other day about about her voice being a Valley Girl voice, mm -hmm. and what strikes me about that being a, another element of this that I think is brilliant. Mm -hmm. Is it's girl from Arizona? Yes, doing what yeah. she thinks is a Valley Girl. I voice love that. Ten years after Valley Girl was relevant, fifteen years after it was relevant, which makes total sense. I feel like she was like in her you know parents' basement watching totally. Solid Gold or whatever, totally. like learning how people oh, spoke God, in LA yeah. because she knew that was yes. where she was going. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's so funny. This is why she's, you know, the great actress that she is, because that's character work. If you can deal with and get through Mark Marin talking to a woman, mm. which is always frustrating. <laughs> it's always a little I like that you always give a trigger warning about this. I really appreciate it. You have it. to, because like I really love the content of what the women on the show say, but you have to warn someone that you're gonna get a little frustrated about listening to a man who feels either outmatched or weird. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Because a lot of people don't notice that they're hearing that. And they're like, yeah, that's what conversations are like. And you're like, oh, right, right. no. <laughs> yeah, they should no. not be. His conversation with her about the wine scene stuff um, that you had mentioned, Sarah, and about her relationship with her dad who just passed and, and, and about mm. her own brilliance and approach to acting extremely extremely well worth it i mean she's a she's a real treasure yeah absolutely oh man i i might listen to it i might <laughs> there's a possibility yeah. i'll be honest i don't know that i can stomach that man it's it's, it's fair but that's, <laughs> i will try 
This is also like the classic 90s movie experience, I feel like, is that like you'll just be chugging along happily watching a nice romantic comedy that will then get like incredibly hateful and transphobic and then just move on. You're like, wait, what the fuck? And also that like some of the best work by women is like (laughs) surrounded by horrible men. So like one of her best roles where she had the most space to maneuver and like show her stuff was in Mighty Aphrodite, a movie directed by and starring... Woody Allen as her romantic opposite. Ooh. Right. He's no Allen coming. I'll put right. it that way. And facilitated and made possible by Harvey Weinstein. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah. The Harvey Weinstein, Woody Allen uh, duo of molecule. movies that had to have happened. Yeah. Oh, my God. This I is, hate it. I, you know, not to like reveal my plans for world domination too early, but. Go for it. No one listens to this show. Right. I was in traffic in L.A. recently, which is where all the great ideas take place. And I realized that A24 is just three guys. Like, it's more people now. But like, I always thought that A24 was like, I don't know, like some like British independent film imprint that had been around since the 60s or something like that. It has that energy about itself. Sure. And then I was looking it up and I was like. A24 was just started by three Randys like 15 years ago. And I was like, I'm a Randy. And so my goal is to make movies someday in a studio setting where uh, men don't have to be involved at all. That's beautiful. Inshallah. I think, okay, so there's one, actually, tying to A24 a little bit, there's this one thing that happens in the uh, in the early bit where they're very clearly, again, at a gay bar mm-hmm. and for some reason think that they're going to get boyfriends at a gay bar. Sure, whatever. Does look a lot more fun, though. Like, from their own words, seems like that's worked for them in the past. I don't know, but whatever. They have an exchange that I remember having a few times myself with several gal pals back when back when uh, I was in college, which was, you know what? Talk to me when we turn 30. Yeah. And like, if we're just still single at that point and we have been single that whole time, girl, let's just figure <laughs> something out. I... <laughs> I think that that first of all that line is just hilarious to me uh, just overall but I also think and this is the bit that ties back to A24 and thinking about like remake culture mm. if they were to remake this movie and it was an A24 film <laughs> this would have ended very differently this would have been a film with lesbian leads first and foremost, because the way that their friendship overall works and the fact that they've been living together, they are common law married, at least oh, yeah. as far as like the state that I live in is concerned. Mm-hmm. They've been living together literally for 10 years. They are common law married. That's how that works. Fun little things there. So if they are at this point common law married and they've just only been living together Like, they've been living only with each other for that long. They have presumably kind of shared incomes a little bit. They are sharing house responsibilities overall. They're making clothing for each other. They are partnered together in almost every other aspect of life. And I'm sitting here like, so what about this isn't... Like, what... (laughs) I don't see where the line for this is. Uh, Like, because even if they were just like, oh, yeah, we live together, we've lived together for 10 years, we don't have sex or anything, I would still fully be like, you know who also hasn't? Uh, A lot of people's parents. Uh, Just a lot of people's parents who have lived together for 25 years. Also Bert and Ernie, depending on your headcanon. Well... (laughs) Do tell. Fan fiction. (laughs) Anyway, that's all. That's all I'm going to say there. But yeah, watching this movie, you know, kind of thinking about fan fiction and how it's useful, partly because it lets us kind of address what the filmmakers weren't able to put in or didn't have language for, but that teen girls do. Particularly in the final dance scene, I was watching this and I was like, it would be presumptuous to say that like the only read of this is that this is kind of a poly situation (laughs) and that they're in a throuple. But like... They are, right? Like, like to me, they are. are. And it just feels like like Sandy is able, like Sandy's mm-hmm. the perfect guy for many reasons. A lot of it is that he's Alan Cumming, but also because he like, he's like, of course, I'll dance with both of you at once and do this sort of like modern ballet expression of like friendship and 
threeness, and I just feel like they're all going to end up living in in Venice together. One thousand percent. And honestly, I love that for them. I truly do. Right? I, I like genuinely. Yeah. If there had been a sequel to that, I would have loved to see. Well, okay. There are two films that I would actually have liked. One. I would love to see what that one woman's life was like. Cameron Mannheim's character. Oh, yeah. Toby. What her life had been like this entire time, like throughout these in between years, because she clearly is a person who's like, was she class president? Was that what that was? I think she's like class Mm -hmm. administrator. And I I think she's an elementary school music teacher with that kind of energy. I could see that. And that would be just so very good. I just would love to know what her life turned into and like what was going on there. And like just more of her just overall. There are like all these weird side characters who I would love to know just like what was going on with them in the intervening years. And then also like just seeing... In the sequel, like what the resolution was for the other one that they were super attracted to. Was it Chris? Oh, Billy. Oh, Billy. Yeah. Billy played by Vincent Ventresca, star of Sci-Fi Channel's The Invisible Man, which I also read fan fiction about. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I would love to know what happened with that marriage and how that resolved. Oh, boy. Mm. Uh, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, that would be a great, very grim Jonathan Franzen-esque piece of fanfic for somebody to write. (laughs) I don't like... From the realm of like fan fiction for the realm of like speculating what a sequel would be. I like I like all that a lot. I also just don't like being given too much information. Mm, I like I like it being like you kind of get a sense of who this person is. Like you can get a sense of where they've been and you can get a sense of where they're going while we're driving forward with what has happened in this movie, which is these friends love each other they hit an impasse they learned why they love each other and they got closer in the end and along the way they proved to themselves most importantly that they're not worthless because they don't have jobs that sound impressive to the people who who browbeat them when they were in high school exactly like yeah their pursuit of the american dream while it like first of all would for any human being take longer than 10 years Just throwing that out there. Um, But like, even if that was what they were trying to aim for, like what they were going for, it's not bad to have not reached there. And also in the process to learn like, yeah, girl, you just fully have like actual marketable skills that you like just weren't using or like weren't necessarily using to the best of your ability because y'all just needed to meet like the right person who believed in you beforehand. Right. Like who believed in you already for maybe romantic reasons, but we'll leave that part just where it is. But like someone who was able to be like, yeah, no, I see that you have this instinct. We're in you in home ec class, which also bring that back. I wish I had learned how to sew when I was actually in school. That would have been nice. I wish I learned how to clean when I was in school. That too. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, that would be great. But like, yeah. So even in that bit where they're like, yeah, they made those, they made those themselves with patterns that they made in home ec class. So they just fully went out and learned pattern making. Yes. A thing that I still, as a professional in this type of field, don't fully know how to do. That's that's amazing. I use a pattern to make an American flag pillow in um, home ec, and it was rustic. Let me tell you, it was folk art. <laughs> yeah, that's the fun thing about making things. Can sell that for five hundred dollars to someone from uh, Massachusetts. <laughs> it would work. <laughs> it would work. Mm. I did figure out the reason that people had been recommending this movie to me for as long as it was. Oh, good. Yes. <laughs> um, the reason is ultimately seeing someone who is good at, again, home sewing projects or like making things for themselves and then going into business doing that as a larger thing. Mm, that makes sense. It was a covert way of encouraging me to do that, which I am still dubious about doing for reasons, but sure. <laughs> but seeing that happen and also seeing the like, I guess in some way people had seen in me that sort of like it's not so much the modesty because I actively just will be like it's wild the uh, the amount of things that I've managed to do and like you know just any intervening time since like college 
ended and like now, which is actually a decade for me now. That is the decade that has happened for me now is I would be going now to my 10 year college reunion. And that's I also don't want to see them. Uh, no, that's kidding. That's a that's a that's a lie. <laughs> there are several people that I would love to see. Uh, but generally speaking, like in that intervening 10 years, like I've accomplished a fair few things, whether or not like when I tell those two other people, I am going to, I don't know, I tend to, I guess, downplay some of them or realize how very specific to certain communities they are. Like, I had this interaction actually very recently with a person who I knew from college, who I sort of re-found very, very recently. And we were talking about tabletop role-playing games. And like, I was really honored to over this last year win an award for a TTRPG that I was in. So it was really cool to get that. And I said that to this person. I was like, yeah, I won an award in a TTRPG thing. They're like, oh my God, I love playing TTRPGs. And I was like, great, cool. So there is another person here who's going to like understand that larger community and understand like how kind of cool that is and actually appreciate the things that I have managed to do, which is not always going to be the case at an event like that, where you go and you're like, this is what I've done. This is what I've achieved but also, like, regardless of what people think of the achievements that I've made, I still, like, have done a lot of... <laughs> I've done a lot of random shit, but I've done some shit, and I'm proud of myself for doing that. And realizing that you can take pride in those things that you've done is a very needed thing. And I, I guess it was, one, people telling me, you make a lot of really nice things, you should probably get paid for it. I appreciate them. Shout out to them. They are correct. However, it was also the thing of like, be proud of what you've been doing and be proud of what you're accomplishing. Not everyone is going to have that like picture perfect, idealized, whatever. But that doesn't matter. Like that doesn't necessarily matter. What matters is that you feel good about yourself and that like comparing yourself to what other people may have like wanted in theory or like what society overall tells you you should want. If that's not where things have gone, that's not necessarily a problem. Mm -hmm. Right. Sarah, what's your what's your what's your takeaway? Mm. You know, yeah, I guess echoing what JV said and saying that like this movie is like very sweet. It goes down very easy. It's like uh my new favorite thing to get at McDonald's, a soft serve cone with the soft serve dumped into an iced coffee. That's a uh, ooh, wow. It's so good. Do it. Everyone who I've mentioned this to has not heard of this, except for Josie Duffy Rice, who was like, of course I know about that. Where have you been? And this is why she's a genius. A lot of other reasons as well. But yeah, it just it goes down so easily. It's such a delight to consume. Like it's we've talked before about how we tend to like movies that are made of like a sort of like long string of fun moments. And this definitely fits that bill. And then also that it's like, it's really about something like people get to grow. Michelle has to stand up for herself and use her own intelligence. And like the characters have to grow through having this brief falling out and thinking about what friendship means to them. And just like, I feel like so many movies have this moral of like, you know, someday adulthood will come and you have to pack away childish things like friendship and uh, get married and be sad. And I love how this movie is like, no, you don't. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. Have fun. Keep having fun. Girl, life is too yeah. short. We got to have more fun. That's just that's just the bottom line of it. If you have like great love with your friends, then like work to sustain that and bring other people into it. But don't like feel like you have to choose between friends that you love and some guy who is supposed to replace all of your relationships. He can't do it. And that saucepan on Instagram won't replace all your pots and pans either. It's not a it thing. Won't. Don't hold people to that standard. <laughs> I think like this movie is very helpful to watch and to think critically about, about how it applies to your life with regard to like one thing everyone talks about. It's like, Oh, I need to do more inner child work, but I don't think mm. enough people try to do inner teen work. Mm. Yeah. Cause like the easiest I find, Personally, the easiest version to be the hardest of yourself about is your teenage self. Oh, yeah. And this is a great movie in which many, many people realize that their understanding of their place and who and how they were 
maybe wasn't exactly accurate and actually there was a much more sympathetic character there than they give themselves credit for and and that's the beyond the social journey and the the journey of sort of social realization there is this like personal journey of a lot of people making that making that and then we see some people effortlessly exercise boundaries so i think it's great as far as that is concerned hey alex yo yeah Yeah. sarah these characters billy is a dad billy is a father by the end of this movie he is to some kids who are his (laughs) (laughs) possibly who knows who is the daddy? Um, who is the daddy? Who is the daddy? Who is the daddy? Oh, what, wait, I'm sorry. I've already forgotten the actress's name who I celebrated at the beginning. Cameron Manheim. Cameron Manheim's character in this movie is the daddy. She is just enthusiastic and excited for other people without making a show of it, just casually in passing is clear in articulating their needs and boundaries Mm -hmm. to somebody else kind of knowing how they're typically treated by that person. I think that that's, it's, it's such a passing thing, but I think it's a monumental thing to see on screen. Absolutely. Yeah. JV. So my daddy, if this film is Lisa, (laughs) because just seeing somebody so expertly, like expertly managed to like, intercede in an altercation wherein someone is being unnecessarily cruel to another person and being able to be like, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. Not only are you one, incorrect, but two, I have the credentials to be able to say that you are in fact exceedingly wrong and also that you are also unhappy and that nobody is a fan of this weird act that you've been pulling for like 20 plus years we are all over it like it's so tired so how about instead we just start telling the truth it's just a much easier thing to do and also these girls have amazing outfits and that's it like i just i love that that was really good to me and also the suit she's also wearing a lesbian power suit which innately means makes her daddy to me (laughs) yeah she looks like sunny crockett which is the dream for me at least um (laughs) alex i'm trying to find the quote i texted you last night before i sent you all these pictures of vegetables (laughs) okay okay but here's the the quote i texted you when i was watching this again last night which goes to my case that michelle is the daddy when they're dancing at prom they're talking about moving to la and romy says everything's gonna happen for us there michelle and we'll never look back. And Michelle says, okay. <laughs> yes. And I feel like Michelle is like the Betsy, the Kirsten Dunst character and Dick. Yes. And yes. we just had another movie where I compared a character to Betsy and Dick. Well, oh yeah, to Thelma. Yes. Oh yeah. Thelma and Thelma and Louise. And this is another dyad where there's kind of the dominant one and then the character who is to allude to Princess Weeks's description of May and the Age of Innocence topping from the bottom, if you will. And Michelle makes everything possible with her belief in Romy. And I love that. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. God, I love her. Thank you, everyone, for listening to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Thank you to J.V. Hampton Van Zandt for being the best guest. We love having you on, J.V. Come back again soon. Thank you to Carolyn Kendrick for producing the episode. Thank you to Miranda Zickler for editing the episode. Thank you to Fresh Lesh for providing the beats that make the transitions sound so sweet. Thanks to you for supporting us on Patreon or at Apple Podcasts plus subscriptions. <laughs> so many words in the Apple one. So many words. But thanks if you support us there. You get bonus episodes. Just a quick reminder. And you can find us at You Are Good Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm pretty sure that's it. I'm pretty sure that's all I have to tell you. You, my friends, are good. We appreciate that you're here. We'll see you all again soon. Take care.